All right, thank you, Jim, for leading us in our song service today. Let me start by inviting you to open up your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. Uh, that'll be the first text we look at today, Mark chapter 12. Uh, the rest of the verses should be on the PowerPoint, but turn over to Mark tw chapter 12 and be ready to follow along. A few things, first things first, I know Leonard talked about the sabbatical that's coming up this summer uh, for myself and for Juan, and we are very blessed to have elders that invest in us and care about us and are, are offering us a time of rest uh, that will begin on June 27th, so I will be here for the month of June every Sunday, but in July we have some guest speakers coming, and I'm really excited about that. Some, some are speakers from within Pine Tree, some are coming from outside. I think it'll be a great month, so we got some good things in store for you this summer. But today is a significant day for me and my family, because five years ago, on the first Sunday in June, we started our ministry here. So we've now completed five years. We're working on year six, and I am wearing the same outfit that I wore on that first Sunday. It is a little bit... Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a little bit tighter today than it was five years ago. I had trouble buttoning this one, but I got it. I'm here. I'm wearing the same thing. All right. So, I read a book a few years ago called The Four Agreements. It was written by a guy named Don Miguel Ruiz. And in this book, he talks about the Toltecs and the Toltec wisdom. And they have a word for the mind that they call it the metote. And the way that he defined the metote is the chaos of our minds. And he said that the metote, the chaos of our minds, is where we have a thousand different voices trying to talk all at once in our heads. Does anybody feel like that describes you? Be honest. Yeah, maybe a little bit. A lot of different thoughts, a lot of different conversations going on in our minds all the time, all day long. The way I compared it was to teaching the fellowship hall class on Sunday mornings. This is what I think of with the metote. So when I would teach it in you know first couple of years here, we would go to worship and then we would go over to the fellowship hall class. You might have 100 to 120 people in that class. So that means there's about 40 to 50 different side conversations going on. And if I were listening, you know, people were talking about the weather, people were talking about politics, people were talking about travel plans that they have coming up or what's going on in their life. Uh, some people, maybe a little bit of gossip, maybe a little bit of small talk, all these different conversations. And as a teacher, which Quentin, you just taught that class, you might have experienced this some. As a teacher, you would have to stand up there and interrupt all these different conversations and watch it slowly die down and then bring it into one conversation. It's not easy to do. And I feel like that's a great metaphor for this metote, for the way that our minds work, is there's so many thoughts going constantly. How can we concentrate all of our thoughts into one conversation or one thought? I've titled this lesson, An Unquiet Mind. In May, we talked about the disquieted soul. We've been talking about anxiety, and you can't talk about anxiety without talking about your thought life, your mental health, the things that you think about. I don't know how your mind works. I don't know if you ever think about what you think about, but I just jotted down a few things that are true for me and maybe true for a few other people. First of all, my mind is hyperactive. Anybody else with me on that? My mind is always going. I may not seem like a real hyper person to you, but I promise you my mind is always going. The wheels are always turning, even especially at nighttime. Sometimes I spend an excessive amount of mental space thinking about, worrying about, 
contemplating on things that are out of my control. Does that describe anybody else? Sometimes I overanalyze past conversations, like a conversation I have during the day or maybe last week. And at some point when that conversation hits me, I start thinking about, what do they mean by that? Why did they say that? Why did they say in that tone of voice? Why did they make that facial expression? And I analyze conversations or overanalyze them. And sometimes I even think, like, I hope that they didn't misunderstand, misunderstand what I said. And, you know, I just kind of go on and on about it. Or I rehearse conversations that I may have in the future. And often when we visualize and we rehearse conversations, we, we have a tendency to exaggerate that. We have anger fantasies. I said this in the first service, and I don't know if anybody picked up on it. I said, I don't have them, but maybe you do. But I think we all have anger fantasies, truthfully. And I don't just mean violent anger fantasies. I mean like thinking in your mind that you're going to have a conversation with somebody, and it's going to be really aggressive, and you're going to tell them off, and you're going to give them a piece of your mind. And we, like the way that, you know, it's just blown out of proportion, the way we think about how we're going to talk to people. We sometimes get lost in our thoughts. Has anybody ever said... Hey, are you listening? Are you with me? And you're not because you're over there somewhere else thinking about something else. I can't tell you how many times, this is a confession, on Wednesday nights, so many different conversations going on. We get in the car ride home, and it takes us five to seven minutes to get home. And there's been multiple times where I, well, all of a sudden, it's like I come to again, and I hear Jessica say, Dad's not listening right now. And my kids have been talking to me, and I haven't heard a word that they said because I'm over here thinking about all these different conversations, analyzing them, rehearsing them back in my mind. That's the way my mind works. And I, from some of the feedback that I heard in the first service, a lot of people struggle with the same type of hyperactivity and an unquiet mind. The first passage I want to look at comes from Mark chapter 12. This is a, a very familiar passage, but I want you to follow along as we read Jesus' answer about what's the greatest commandment. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Some of your translations say, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered, the first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Out of all 613 commands found in the law, Jesus says these are the most important. These are the greatest. Well, this scribe that's talking to him in verse 32 basically repeats back to Jesus, summarizes what Jesus said. He said, the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So Jesus responds back to this scribe in verse 34. Jesus saw that He answered wisely. And He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask Him any question. Okay, so this is the greatest commandment, something that you've read before, something you're familiar with, something I've preached on. As a church, we have seven commitments. And our first commitment is we will cultivate a deeper love for God. So something that's always on my mind through sermons or lessons or ministry activities that we have, that we offer, is how do we cultivate a deeper love for God? 
Mark's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, they have their variations of this interaction that we just read. The greatest commandment. I like Mark's. And something really intriguing happens from what we just read. For one, Jesus gives a compliment to a scribe, a religious leader. You read through the Gospels. How often does Jesus give a compliment to a teacher of the law? Not very often. But here, Jesus affirms what this teacher of the law says. He repeats back to Jesus and He says, you've answered wisely, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And I don't know if you're like me, but I read that and I think, what does that mean exactly? You're not far from the kingdom of God. That's something that we should probably pay attention to. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. If we start to get that, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not far from you. What I want to look at specifically from these greatest commands is I want to emphasize the part where Jesus says, love God with all your mind. How do we love God with all of our mind? With all the chaos that's always going on in our mind, with all these different thousands of voices and conversations going on at once, the unquieted mind, how do we love God with all of our mind? When you talk about the mind, when we talk about discipleship, a passage that usually comes up comes from one of Paul's letters, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. You see it on the screen there. Paul says, he writes this. This is just the second half of the verse. He says, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought that we have, every thought that goes through our mind. Paul is saying we take it captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Well, we have a lot of thoughts going through our minds every day, right? I mean, how many thoughts do you normally have a day? Well, we have a little bit of research to help us think about that. There's the Laboratory of Neuroimaging from the University of Southern California, and according to their research, the average human has about 48.6 thoughts per day. Does that sound like you? Does that sound true to you? 48.6 thoughts, I mean per minute, sorry, per minute. <laughs> Some of you may be 48.6 per day, but... Uh, per minute sounds more like me, so I think their research is true. And so you add that up, and it gets to about 70,000 thoughts per day if you're rounding up. Now, that includes sleep, so it depends on how long you sleep, and we're still thinking while we sleep. So I'm going to go with that number. We have about 70,000 thoughts per day. And with my hyperactive mind, I think that's true. But the same research shows that about 80%, or at least up to 80% of those 70,000 thoughts per day can be negative and repetitive. We have a tendency to view things through a negative lens, and, and that's a large percentage. That's a staggering amount. And yet Paul says we take all 70,000 thoughts per day, we take them captive, and we make them obey Christ. Well, that seems like an overwhelming task. Or you think about Romans chapter 12, which is what Larry read for us during our Scripture reading. This is... Another one of those well-known passages when it comes to the mind. In Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Part of our transformation is the Spirit-filled people of God. As Christ people. 
I mean, for one, there's an expectation that there's a transformation taking place and it's ongoing. And a part of that transformation is the renewing of our minds. But I think we all know that we can get stuck in a rut like you see in this picture. In fact, neuroscience is proving that in our minds, our thought patterns create ruts. Kind of like tire tracks going through the mud. You see here, one car goes through the mud, creates some tracks, creates a rut, and then another car goes and another car goes and that rut gets deeper and deeper and more well-worn. And our mind works that way. Our thought patterns and processes become like a rut to us and we keep returning to that same rut and just taking that same rut. And it's hard to get unstuck when you're stuck in a rut. I read this story a few years ago. I actually shared this in a sermon a few years ago. Uh, It's one of my favorite stories that's a true story. There, There was a technician in Corpus Christi, Texas, who was working on an ATM machine and somehow, someway, locked himself inside the ATM machine. He didn't have his phone with him, but I guess by the grace of God, he had a pen and paper. So when people would come through the ATM machine, Instead of getting their receipt, this would come out, or it would come on the back of the receipt, a little note that says, please help, I'm stuck in here. Call my boss and have the number. Well, you can see on the security camera that car after car drove through, did their withdrawal from the ATM machine, and then laughed about it and drove on because they thought it was some kind of weird prank. Finally, some kind lady stopped and thought, if this is real, I better call that number. So she called the number. Turns out it was real. His boss showed up and finally got him out of that ATM machine. I think he was stuck in there for 30 minutes to an hour. That sounds like absolute torture to me, to be stuck inside of a small, dark place. But I thought about his note. Please help. I'm stuck. Mentally. I can't tell you how often I feel that way. Please help, I'm stugging point to your head. How can we renew our minds, receive this transformation from Christ when we so often get stuck in these thought patterns? Or consider what Jesus taught in John chapter 10, verse 1 through 10. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll give you a quick summary. In the Gospel of John, Jesus makes these seven I am statements where he's equal with God and In John chapter 10, verse 1 through 10, he has two of those I am statements. He says, I am the the gate, I am the door for the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. And it's in this section here where he says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep recognize my voice. They don't listen to the voice of a stranger. And then he goes on in verse 10, this famous passage that says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come that you may have life and have life to the fullest. Jesus comes to offer us life, but there is an enemy, there is an opposing voice, uh, force, there is a, an adversarial voice, you might say, that, that we all have in our heads. I think everybody experiences this at some point, where this voice in your mind telling you, you can't do this, you can't succeed, don't try, you're going to fail. Don't trust anybody because everybody's out to get you. Or that voice in your head telling you that you're not good enough. This antagonistic, adversarial voice that sometimes is in our minds, and sometimes for some of you, that narrator in your head is quite dominant. But where does that come from? Maybe it's generated from within, or you might can make an argument 
from spiritual warfare, that there are spiritual forces at work, that we have an enemy, and maybe those thoughts come from the enemy, this adversarial voice. Somehow, some way, we need to learn to tune that out and learn to listen to the voice of Jesus. So you take all these passages I just read. Love God with all your mind, the greatest commandments. But how do we do that with the matote, with the unquieted mind, with all these thoughts going constantly? How do we love God with all of our mind? How do we take 70,000 thoughts per day that are often negative and repetitive and make them obedient to Christ? How can we renew our minds when we often get stuck in these ruts and uh, mental pathways of how we normally think? How can we learn to listen to our shepherd's voice when there's so many other competing voices out there, especially that adversarial voice in our own head? Well, let me offer you a few practical points that I think maybe could help you to help quiet the mind, to learn to love God with all of our minds. And here's A few things that maybe you'd find helpful. One is you could write down your thoughts. Try that. Try when you are struggling with, you're really angry, you're depressed, you're anxious, you know what you're thinking is irrational, but you can't stop it because all of our thoughts have kind of an emotional charge with it. There's a feeling attached to our thoughts. When you're deep in that, try writing it out. That's something that I've started to do over the last few years Actually, I don't handwrite it. You can handwrite it, but I'll type it up on my phone. I have a section called prayer, and I will write out when I'm deep in the middle, I'm stuck in a rut, I'll write out all my thoughts, and I'll give it over to God and pray about it. But a couple things happens when you write it out. For one, you see it on paper. If you're thinking something that's kind of unrealistic or unhealthy, once you see it on paper, you can kind of see it for what it is. Like, that's a little overboard. And then for me, I I date it and I can go back and I can look and I can start to notice patterns in my own life. Patterns of ways of thinking, times of year, things that people may say, seasons of life, whatever it is, like I can notice like during this time, I usually get deep in that rut, deep in that funk during that time. So write out your thoughts, do it prayerfully, discern your thoughts. If some of the thoughts in our own mind come from the enemy, from the evil one, What if we learn to discern our thoughts? What if we learn to actually question our own thoughts? And I don't mean this in an unhealthy, hypercritical way. But if some of those thoughts in our minds, they're not coming from us, they're coming from the evil one, we've got to learn to question that. If you're always the victim, if somebody's always out to get you, you know, if everything is always horrible and everything is always negative, Instead of just accepting that for the way it is and that being the truth, learn to question that. Discern your own thinking. Write out your thoughts. Discern your thinking. The third thing is recognize. This is a no particular order right here, so you could put recognize as the first thing, but something that's been really helpful to me over the last five or six years is just learning to recognize when it's happening. I don't know if you want to call it like a spell or an episode, Uh, Usually for me, it happens at night. A lot of times it happens on a Sunday night, just being honest, because Sundays are such a heavy day. Then you start rehearsing and overanalyzing those conversations and thinking about what you have up ahead in the future. I see, Aaron, is it okay to point out that you're nodding along? Okay, so you, you know what I mean, what we go through sometimes on Sunday nights. When you're having those times, just recognize it. Like I've learned to say, you're doing it again. 
And even if I have trouble stopping it, at least recognizing it is a step in the right direction. My grandmother, before she died, the last few years of her life, she would start to do this. And I liked how she identified it. She would just sometimes say, sorry, I'm having a crazy head again. And sometimes that's what I just say to myself. Just recognizing it. And then once it's happening, once you get stuck in that rut, those unhealthy ways of thinking, try to redirect it. Find strategies and ways to help redirect your toxic thinking, all these rogue thoughts that often go through our minds, undisciplined and unfiltered. Redirect them. Do that by prayer. Do that by writing it out. The things we've already talked about, questioning your own thoughts, recognizing when it's happening. And for me, there's a few other things that I can do to redirect my thoughts, my toxic thinking. Be around people. If you're having really horrible thoughts or negative thoughts about other people, spend time with people. Root those thoughts in reality, and then you realize it's probably not as bad as it is. Or just do something physical, like exercise, go outside, play with your kids. Connecting the mind and the body is important. Something I've been doing since last fall is I'll just try to do 100 push-ups. And Paul, I'll give you full credit for that, because you told me at a football game one Friday night that you just do 100 push-ups a day. I started doing that, and that's helped my mental health. Some of you are like, I can't do a push-up. Well, do something else. Do something physical. Do something to help redirect your thoughts when you're in that mindset. Another thing that you can do is consider your influence. Who is influencing your thinking? If you surround yourself with negative people, it's only going to feed that negativity more. 80% of our thoughts are negative or repetitive. We need some more positive people in our lives. So it's okay to vent every once in a while. We need that. But what if you considered who is influencing your thinking And think about people that are really Christ-like in their own thinking and their own behavior and try to surround yourself with them more often. Expose yourself to them and that could also influence your thinking by the people who are influencing you. And then a sixth thing is just to consider being grateful. Having a heart of gratitude. If anybody ever listens to any of my sermons, occasionally I'm going to talk about the prayer of thanksgiving. It's to try each day at least one of your times of prayer, to pray nothing but what you are thankful for. So often we just pray to God and we give God our laundry list of our requests and our needs, but what if you just spent time saying, here's what I'm thankful for. And if you're looking for it, there's always something to be thankful for. Now I'll give you this, these are practical steps that I have taken that maybe you could that would help you filter your own thoughts. And again, the reason I bring this up Because you go back to the greatest commands, Jesus says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we love God with all of our mind? How do we discipline our own thought life? Take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. To experience this transformation of renewing our minds. To learn and listen to the voice of Jesus above all the other noise. How can our minds become the dwelling place of Christ? What Jesus said to that scribe in Mark chapter 12, you're not far from the kingdom of God. We can get to that place where the mind becomes the dwelling place of Christ and we start to love God with all of our mind. It's like you can hear Jesus saying, you're not far from the kingdom of God. This morning, if you need any help with renewing your own mind, if you need any help hearing the voice of Jesus in your own life, 
We're here to help you. We have shepherds that would be glad to pray for you, talk with you. I'd be glad to talk with you. If you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, please come talk with us today or at least initiate that conversation. Uh, We're going to sing a few more songs. Jim Green is going to come back up here. I invite you to stand. We'll continue to sing. In his presence, there